Hey everyone, I'm Bruce and you're listening to Clearly Unfiltered, a short-form podcast that offers clear, concise, unfiltered and undoubtedly flawed thoughts on how and why I'm butchering some of my own sacred cows. In each episode, I'm going to let those steaks sizzle and serve them up medium rare or blue. And now again, well done or charred. In this episode, I explore the importance of comprehensive sex ed against the backdrop of the woefully inadequate sexual education I received as a child and a teenager. In fact, the sum total of my sex ed growing up was probably one Christian book for boys on sex and also being told explicitly and implicitly in church circles that sex or even thinking about it is mostly sinful until marriage, of course. And sex is also something not really spoken about in polite company. After being in the teaching profession for many years, I realized that in South Africa and possibly elsewhere in the world, comprehensive sexual education is still pretty much non-existent in many schools. And I would say probably in many families too. Where schools do try to broach the subject, they are often met with resistance from parents and guardians who feel that comprehensive sex ed is inappropriate, especially for younger kids, and is possibly best left for the home, although that rarely happens at home. Also, more conservative church spaces continue to promote purity culture, which, in essence, stigmatizes sex, promotes patriarchal norms, and perpetuates a binary view of sexuality. In purity culture, men are often painted as the tempted, while women are seen as responsible for the downfall of men, especially based on what they might be wearing or how they carry themselves or ridiculous things like that. So as I've unpacked all of this, particularly against the backdrop of gender-based violence in South Africa, hookup culture as a whole, a wholly inadequate understanding of consent by many people, uh, sexual abuse, rampant sexism and misogyny, and a lack of sexual and gender inclusivity in society, which leads to real harm for LGBTQIA plus folk, I have come to believe that a prudish approach to sex ed is really damaging, and we must do better. We need to help children and teenagers understand what it means to be good sexual citizens. So, I asked my Canadian friend Ashley to join me for this conversation, mainly because we co-facilitate an online class for teachers about responsible sexual citizenship, but also because Ashley teaches middle school kids in a school in Canada that goes all the way from kindergarten to high school, and she has a ton of experience of what good comprehensive sexual education looks like in a school setting. And so we ended up speaking about a ton, and our conversation, therefore, will be released in three parts, because it's too long for one or two episodes. Um, and in this first part, I briefly introduce Ashley to purity culture, which I think is <laughs> quite a funny part of this podcast. But we also speak about consent, the fear many people have when it comes to sex ed, and amongst other things, the lack of understanding that exists about what really good comprehensive sexual education is about. So sit back, enjoy the ride. Uh, I hope this conversation is helpful for you. It's, um, yeah, it's a privilege to be speaking to my friend Ashley, who lives in Montreal, beautiful city. Um, and... We, um, when did we meet? Ashley, 2017, I think. Yeah, m more recently, you and I facilitate a 
class. Well, I think you do most of the good facilitating. I just sort of <laughs> jump on the bandwagon. But we facilitate a class together on responsible sexual citizenship. And that's, I think we both learn a lot from that as well. Absolutely. I, I think we're, we are teaching and we are bringing in our experience, but on the side, you and I also have a text where we're saying like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. or, oh, I followed up on this resource. This one's really great too. So yes, we're teaching, but we're learning also. I guess that's the best way to be a teacher is you're, you're learning at the same time. Yeah, it is. And um, I think the reason I'm having this conversation with you today is because of of, of that connection, of, of the class we facilitate together. And I think I've, I've just been challenged by a lot of our conversations, particularly around sex ed um, and the importance of it. But before we dive into that, why don't you give the listeners a brief introduction to Ashley? I'm an elementary school teacher. Um, so I'm trained to teach kindergarten to grade six in Canada. I also have um, a degree in outdoor experiential education, which is basically hands-on education. Instead of learning from a book, mm. you create lessons where you learn hands-on. And then the many hats that I wear, I um, support our English department. I also do a lot of equity, diversity, and inclusion work as well at our school. And I have been lately working on supporting teachers to implement Sex, it would traditionally be called sex ed courses, but we call it sexual mm. citizenship, which is just a much more inclusive term. It kind of just reflects, you know, a more global approach. Like we're not just focusing on anatomy and sexuality. It's it has human relationships. It has in there. It has consent. It has. It's just a, a more broad term that people aren't really familiar with yet. So that's me yeah. a little bit. <laughs> and you're also you're also a mom. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that oh. part. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so Rafaela is just about four, and Kalal just turned three months. So, yeah, <laughs> busy around here, that's for sure. So I thought a fun way to start this conversation, Ashley, because, you know, this this podcast is really about me unpacking just some of the stuff in my life and the sacred cows, the things that sort of as I've got older, I've been like, oh, boy, that was kind of weird or that was you know I didn't understand much of this back then but now I see it through a different lens and I know <laughs> one thing I do want to mention just before I think you were the one when I started this podcast that was called clearly unfiltered it was you said to me is this going to be about coffee <laughs> was that you yeah <laughs> <laughs> which I thought geez maybe it should have been about coffee with the name like Clearly unfiltered. I'm sure coffee will come in here at some point. There's going to be a coffee-related reference or yeah, yeah. something's coming. You like your coffee. You're good coffee. Oh, yeah. But um, I think the other, the other thing that you mentioned after listening to one of my episodes, I think one of the many episodes you like, you know, I wasn't ever embedded in, like, evangelical culture. So some of those references are very strange to me. Absolutely. So... Yeah, so I thought I would start off with some strange conservative evangelical culture stuff and see how you respond to that. And I sent some stuff through to you beforehand, but I'm going to hit you with something that I didn't send through to you um, before the time because I want to see how you react to this. So, Ashley, I want to know, have you ever heard, and maybe you have heard because you are just north of the States, so maybe you have heard of purity culture. 
I may have, uh, maybe I saw a documentary where they mentioned that, but that's not, yeah. if someone asked so, me to give more detail, I just gave you as much as I know right there. That's as much as okay. I know. And that's, and that's cool. I like that because I want to read some things and I'm, I'm drawing this not from a thoughts, you know, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel, but Linda K. Klein on her website, she, she basically supports people who are recovering from this purity culture because I think it's left a lot of people damaged. But I want to read some stuff to you and then just your gut response, even if it's silence is fine. But, if, you know, if it just sounds like okay. out of line. But so obviously the term purity culture is generally associated with the white American evangelical uh, Christian church and uh, – I think that spilled over into a lot of regions. So in South Africa, at a point, it was really, really big. They would be these big, like, big, like events where people would commit to like saving themselves for marriage and they'd get these weird rings and it would be this whole like, you know, sex is bad and unless it's good in marriage or whatever it is, you know, there was this whole movement. Um, but, um, I want to mention some of the like important tenets of purity culture to you and see how you respond. I don't want to sound like I'm joking, but this, this, it sounds super ridiculous for me um, nowadays. So in purity culture, gender expectations are based on a strict stereotype based binary. Men are expected to be strong, masculine leaders of the household and society and women are expected to support them to be pretty, feminine, sweet, and supportive wives and mothers. This is something that's said in 2022? So, no, this yeah, is from still, like the 60s or 70s or something? So purity culture was really big in the 90s, but there is, still, there is still so much of that in evangelical culture these days, particularly this whole idea of, of very binary gender roles. I, I, <laughs> I wish people could see your face. I was, I don't, um, I can't imagine myself or even, I can't imagine I, myself or any of my friends taking that really well. Just the expectation of someone outlining what a man has to be. I know that we, my friends and I certainly do not have that expectation for our husband and just having a baby three months ago, if my expectation was to be pretty and any of these other things, my focus is my son and taking care of my family. I cannot imagine my husband coming home and I don't, I don't know. That's all I, I feel yeah. like that's such an outdated notion. Yeah. Like women so, are studios now and. Exactly. But <laughs> hold that thought. It gets, it gets worse. Okay. Oh, man. So as part of purity culture, everyone, that's men and women, are expected to maintain absolute sexlessness before marriage, which means no sexual thoughts, feelings, or actions. And upon marriage, they're expected to flip their sexuality on like a light switch. No sexual thoughts. How is that policed? (laughs) I don't know how it's policed, but it's not possible, is it? But that's the... The aim. Ben, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but some of this stuff is really good. Um, 
I mean, I say, I say good, but actually really scary. And, and this is where the shame comes in. And, and so this is someone's interpretation of it. But the, the basic idea is that men are taught that their minds are evil, whereas women are taught that their bodies are evil. So put it another way, men's thoughts and actions are said to be either pure or impure, while women themselves are said to be pure or impure. And this is, this is when it goes to the next level. And this is where it becomes really problematic for me because there are, there are tons of conservative evangelicals who still believe this kind of stuff. But purity culture teaches that women are responsible for the sexual thoughts, feelings, and choices men make. And so as a result, need to dress, walk, and talk in just the right way so as not to inspire sexual thoughts, feelings, and actions in them. If they do inspire such thoughts, they are said to be a stumbling block to those men. So men don't take responsibility for their own responses or thoughts or actions. It, it all rests on women. I can't imagine the strength, I can't think of another word, that it would take to have to try to meet these expectations, knowing you know the way teenagers feel, the way that you feel when mm. you see a partner who you're kind of interested in, those sort of those, you know, new love, puppy love feelings. I can't imagine how these people are walking around continually trying to suppress that. Like, what does it look like when you get home and you're allowed to close your door? Do you just fall apart because yeah. you've been holding, you've been just carrying the shield all day, every day. I don't. And also, I mean, the very, the, the big thing, and, and, and we'll get into this a little bit later. I think when we talk about, sex ed and sexual citizenship education. But just think of, of that dynamic where women are said to be responsible for what men think and do and the whole consent conversation. How easy it is then for men, and I know we're speaking in the binary here because mm -hmm. in that context it is the binary, but that men don't have to be held accountable for what they're doing because it's, because their actions or thoughts are based on what a woman is wearing or saying or how she's walking. So like consent isn't in that context, consent isn't even a conversation. I'm not even sure what to say to that. It just is mm. completely different than the way we teach our students to take agency for giving and receiving consent, you know, that, that it's a yeah. two way street. And then we also teach them what to do if consent isn't given, if your feelings are hurt, what do you do next? Because that's the yeah. reality of the situation for men and women, again, in this binary, for, yeah. for everyone. Yeah. And so I want to jump to this one, uh, stepping out of purity culture, because I want to get into the stuff that I think really matters and what I want people to hear with. And, and the reason I shared those things is because as I've unpacked my own upbringing around what kind of sex ed I got, I mean, I, I got some book called What Every Boy Should Know, and it probably didn't include much that boys should know, but it was kind of mm -hmm. left on my bed, and that was it. My parents didn't teach, talk to me about sex. We didn't speak about it in, at youth group. In you know, I was in that context. We didn't speak about it at school. It was like you sort of fumble your way through it. You know, you you don't really know what you're learning. Um, but I think very much in in that context that I grew up in, that was really conservative. There's this assumption that educating kids about sexual health or more recently as it's become uh, sort of as, as sex ed has become more inclusive to speak to kids about um, uh, 
LGBTQIA plus folk talking about gender diversity, conversations around consent and other issues. There's this fear, I think it is, that people think if you teach kids about that, they're going to become that. So like if you teach kids about transgender people, they're going to want to become that. And it's all fear-based. Um, or if you teach kids too early about sex, they're just all going to want to go and do it all the time. The irony about that is, is probably lots of teens want to go do it all the time anyway, but they're just yeah. hiding it. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. and, and even that's an incorrect assumption because not all teens want to, but it just seems so ridiculous that, that in this conservative space, people are so afraid to talk about something that's so important and natural. I think this has to do with fear, but also just a lack of understanding of education in general. So mm. when we're looking at education, you teach things that are age appropriate. So you're definitely not teaching sex and sexuality in grade four. You're not teaching them about, you know, but, but we're talking about like human relationships. So we're talking about mm. friendships as a, as a testing ground for partner relationships. So a teacher would have a conversation. Did that feel good when your friend did this? And then once, once you get maybe in grade six or grade seven, whatever the, the, the curriculum allows in your province or state, then you'd be having a conversation that says, if your partner did this, how would you feel? Do you feel um, like swearing is, an, is acceptable in, in fights? Is that something you feel comfortable with? I certainly know I did not have any of this in my school and have had to test it out in my relationships. So when I was sort of younger having a relationship, it was sort of on the ground. I was learning about it as I had a boyfriend. We're having a fight and it's like, oh, does this feel comfortable? Do I feel like the way we're, do we fight right? So all of this is age appropriate. And certainly when you're looking at something like when you, when you read a book to let's say kindergartens and they have two moms, you're definitely not getting into the sexual part of it. You're just talking about families and families is in the curriculum that feels fine if that's a mom and a dad but when we start talking about having a trans dad and another dad that feels difficult but it's just talking about families it's talking about love and also you're definitely going to have students in your classroom who have let's say um, a godparent who's gay let's say they have a sibling who's um, non-binary something like that someone in their life let's say they they have an influencer they really like who's gender non-conforming so we need to think about the fact that this is the life that these that these kids are living and we're doing it in an age-appropriate way certainly no teacher wants to have a lesson that feels like you're shocking the kids, like they're scared, and then go home to this big list of emails where parents are very frustrated that you did something inappropriately. That's just not, it's not a very effective use of your time. And it's just not yeah. what we want to do as teachers. It's not like I'm in my math class teaching grade seven math to grade fours. No, that doesn't yeah. seem, that doesn't seem like a productive use of my time. I wouldn't get into teaching if that was something that I really wanted to do. That's where we'll leave it for now. Ashley and I continue our conversation in part two, and in this part, we focus largely on consent, amongst other things. We, we're laying the framework to have those conversations so that those students, so that, that they know touching on the shoulder is okay, touching on the bum isn't, because then when we get to grade three, grade six, grade nine, 
um, those conversations, they've already felt comfortable and vulnerable enough to have that conversation. We can jump off and get into places where if in grade nine, someone touches them and they, they don't have their consent, they feel complete agency to stop that.